0: Welcome. You're listening to a Mr. Thrive Media production.
1: Hello, Thrivers. Wishing you a wonderful day. This here is the season three finale. Now, one thing that's really special about this finale is that you have access to actually not just listen to it, but watch it as well. As a matter of fact, this is a very unique experience where we are interviewing the man himself who was able to help me conceptualize Mr. Thrive Media without even realizing what he was doing. Alan Hunt has a wide experience of acting in theater and even a little bit of TV, and it's really wonderful to hear his story in the flesh. For the first time ever, we got Alan Hunt's complete record of his entire life story, and it's so amazing, and I really cannot wait for you guys to hear this episode. This episode is near and dear to my heart, and I really hope you guys appreciate the very uh, story that we're telling today. So without further ado, for the last time this season, Sit back, relax, and enjoy. You have stumbled upon the Mr. Thrive Podcast, where together we discover established artists. Hello, I'm Alan Hunt, actor, director, and all-around happy person. Couldn't agree more. And, and that positivity that you allude, I think, is something that we're going to really focus on on this podcast. Oh, good. Because it's been something that's kind of left me in awe of you all my life and for the audience who doesn't know right off the bat who alan hunt is you've probably seen him in a few things we'll talk about that uh as we as we go through this interview but his personal connection to me is that he was my theater teacher as a matter of fact he casted me in the play where thrive comes from um (laughs) i want to give alan the chance to introduce himself and talk a little bit about himself (laughs) all right thank you uh yes it's true um I was a theater director
0: uh at Oak Park where I met this young man and uh on on our drive over here today I was reminding him of I, I don't know what it is but in in theater that's at, like at a public school the the ratio of interested actors and actresses is overwhelmingly actresses um it I don't know why but th- the guys, they want to play football, they want to do, you know, whatever. It was very difficult to get boy actors to be in our, our productions. But uh, this man, Charlie, uh, came out, and he put fear aside, and he was in a production of... The Merry Wives of Windsor. The Merry Wives yeah. of Windsor, I just wanted to see. Yeah. <laughs> Merry Wives of Windsor by William Shakespeare. And... If I may say, Charlie was very devoted to this. He was dedicated. It wasn't his first line of business, and in a high school, you wouldn't expect it to be. But the way he the way he took took his part and and uh, got to know the other actresses and actors was really something to see. It, it's something from my corner of things. We hope that they'll like doing this uh, and and not that they have to go into this business for the rest of their lives. but it's it's a warm up. That's the idea, I think. But uh, hmm. one of the things if i if I may, Charlie had a sequence in the play where he he's not fitting in with the rest of the characters in the story.
1: still true to this day
0: and he said <laughs> and he he has a very sad exit where he he doesn't seem to fit in so he had uh, in the dialogue he says i i am i'm going to be on my own i'm okay i will thrive now i will thrive was his last line. That's when he exited. Now this was some years ago, and I want you to know that this man Charlie has used "I will thrive" as as sort of a as a, a sort of a um, a caption of his life. I will thrive. I will survive. I will do this, and all from this one line from the Mayor Wives of Windsor. And today I'm so delighted in, in these years since that he still says, I will thrive. And it it's something that I think we should thank William Shakespeare for, but I've never known any actor or actress to hold on to something like this and make it their life creed. And for this, I salute, and Charlie, it's wonderful to see.
1: I, I appreciate that, Mr. Hunt, and you know, it, the reason why that line is was, was so important to me, I, I don't even know if you knew this about me, but when I had just come to Oak Park High School, I was fresh from middle school, obviously. Yeah. Middle school wasn't very kind to me. Middle school was where I dealt with all kinds of bullies, uh, uh, people that uh, treated me differently just because... I was Jewish really yeah so kidding yeah so I really when when I received that line it 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 meant something way more to me because the role of Bardolph in the Merry Wives of Windsor it's not a very significant role it's it's a very small role it doesn't really stand out as anything major but to me it was everything and and just like how you know Adam Driver this uh, big actor today who it was a veteran that used acting to be his therapy. At that time, acting was my therapy, and you gave that to me. So, yes, I do have William Shakespeare to thank, but <laughs> on a deeper level, I have you to thank, Mr. Hunt. That's so kind. Yeah. Well, I, if
0: I may, I, I must continue this, because when he said, I will thrive, that was his exit line. That That's the line in the play. But what is so remarkable to me was, this became such a catching phrase for him. Uh, he was also in one of my classes. So when I called for roll, every other student would say here, so-and-so, here, Charlie Volk, and he would say, I will thrive. <laughs> the, the, the rest of the students loved this. Then they began to say, I will thrive when I was calling role. Right. They started to copy me. Yeah, they were copying <laughs> the, the whole classroom was saying, Right, I will thrive. Right. Finally I said, listen, rather than my take individual role, why don't we just all say this together? Go. And the whole class would go,
1: I will thrive. It really became a like a, a cathartic experience for everyone, I think. I, I it, tell it, you, you know, this
0: yeah. this is something that's that's <laughs> dear to our hearts. And right. then then what was the other thing? Um, other thing? well when we were when we were in production, uh, this character that that we're talking about that Charlie did, um, he has an exit from from the play. We don't see him ever again. He's going on to do something else, and that "I will thrive" became his catchword. And and as I said, everyone in the class began to copy it because. They wanted to have a line. And I said, well, why don't you say to be or not to be? That is the question. Or uh, take another
1: Shakespeare line. Right. There are much don't, more. They're much better lines in Shakespeare, yeah, for the don't, record. Don't yeah. pick on Charlie. He right. found that line right. for himself. Right.
0: But my point is that they thought it was so wonderful that they wanted to be part of it. And that's why. You were very nice about it. But everyone began to call out, I will thrive,
1: whenever I called roll. And I remember my confusion when I first heard someone else say it. It was kind of one of those, you know, like, <laughs> like it was a total head turn moment. This total pattern inter- pattern interrupt that I was just so not accustomed to, and I was taken aback by it. But that was at the time, Mister Hunt, when you taught me that uh, flattery is the best is the best form of kindness that you could ever receive. So I I uh, I, I then embraced it as a compliment. It really was a compliment. So. I really do owe that to you, Mr. Hunt, and um, I, I'm grateful for my experience at Oak Park High School. I think um, you were the the crux of that experience at Oak Park High School uh, for me. At the end of the day, I did 13 shows at Oak Park High School. Is that um, right? 13? Yeah, wow. 12, 12 of them directed by you. There was the one student-directed play. Right. Um, but, but 12 of them were directed by you. I loved being in uh, Sweeney Todd with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Julius Caesar... Was one of the most challenging plays for me, but I also had the most fun with it because you gave me two roles in that play, and they were both um, supporting roles. So they were mm-hmm. both dialogue heavy. I played Casca, first man to stab uh, Caesar, and Octavius, uh, who is uh, Caesar's cousin. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. So good for you. I, and then and then uh, you casted me in Les Mis. I was Thenardier. <laughs> That was fun. Nice. That, was my, that was actually my favorite play. Nice. Yeah, love that. Um, there were a lot of really wonderful musicals you put me in. You know, one hum. of the things that I
0: remember, that's very nice, Charlie. One of the things I, I remember is um, whether I wanted to introduce theater to kids who either had never done it before or wanted to know more about it, that was fine. But one of the things I've never gotten is that uh, let's get down to basics. Any guys that were in the plays that I directed, it wasn't that they wanted to be in the plays. They wanted to meet girls. And the girls were... Uh, there must have been three to four girls to every one boy in in our productions. There was nothing we could do about it. But uh, the fact that <laughs> Charlie did so many shows was... Uh, was a a great blessing for me because we were always short of
1: fellows. Right. And uh, we knew we could count on Charlie, so (laughs) good. Well, I really do appreciate that, Mr. Hunt. Um, In order to get this podcast properly started, this particular episode, there's a right of entry into the show. Is there? And that is our season three warm up trivia. Mr. Hunt, are you ready? I found three qu- trivia questions for oh, you okay. that I'm going to throw at you right here. Uh, Let me pull I've, it up. I
0: don't have any knowledge about this. This, yeah. is, this is totally
1: uh, you, off you, the cuff. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any guesses, by the way, as to uh, what the what the trivia might be based on? No. Okay. Well, it's theater. Okay. Pl- plot twist. <laughs> okay. But, but we're going to be talking a lot about theater today, of course. Uh, I have three questions here that all. All quality thespians know, and I know Mr. Hunt's gonna slam this one out of the park. So <laughs> oh, I'm in for it now, ladies. Yes, gentlemen. you are. Okay. Yes, you are. All right. Well, question one Why is it bad luck to say Macbeth on stage? Is it A, people got hurt every time the production happened? B, it was Shakespeare's least favorite play? C, it's a tragedy, so it makes people sad? Or D, it's just a silly superstition? I'll go for D because Macbeth is one of the most
0: powerful of Shakespeare's plays. And for some reason throughout history, it became an oddity in the sense of, I don't know if this is, if this is just by sheer chance, but things happened in productions at Macbeth. Someone would break a leg. Someone would uh, close a door at the wrong time at, it just never seemed to work. I remember once there was a, there was a production where in, in Macbeth, there's a, a parade of, of uh, entrance for these actors. And the theater where they were performing, they entered one of the actual theater doors. And as they entered, they came in above a sign saying exit. And the audience thought this was hysterical. It's a very dramatic moment. They're walking in with pomp and circumstance, and they're entering under exit. <laughs> so the whole play went out the window.
1: It takes I, you really out of it. Doesn't yeah, I don't. Yeah. I
0: don't know who writes these things, but that that's
1: that's one of the reasons. But I think that Shakespeare. So, Alan, you gave kind of a very you kind, you kind of gave two answers there because the. The first option A was people got hurt every time the production happened, but then you chose D, Just a Silly Superstition, because it is. But as a matter of fact, it's A, and yet, yeah, so, so the answer's A. Oh, good. Yeah, 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 okay, so, so you basically got it. I, I'll, I'll give you a half point for that Okay, one. good, I'll take half point, thank because you. Because apparently, this is a true story, in its original production circa 1606, uh, there was something that ha- happened wrong, something, something went wrong every single time Macbeth was shown at the Globe Theater. Oh. Yeah, every single time. Interesting. And that's how it became bad luck. That was where the superstition came from. Wow. All the, you know, all the way over 400 years ago. Jeez. It's really wild. Question two. Who was the first black actor to ever win a Tony? Was it A, Harry Belafonte for John Murray Anderson's Almanac? B, Leslie Uggams of Hallelujah Baby? C, Juanita Hill, South Pacific? Or D, James Earl Jones, The Great White Hope?
0: I think we might want uh, Juanita, who I believe was the original Bloody Mary in South Pacific. That's right. And all the other actors you're speaking of there, certainly famous, but I don't think they were before that because uh, I, I believe now this is 1949, which is when South Pacific first opened. And, you know... It's sad to say this, but Juanita Hall is a black woman playing Bloody Mary, a great role. And do you know that she had to dress in a whole other area of the other actors? She wasn't allowed to be next to her uh, actors and actresses friends. Uh, It's hard to believe 1949. But she had her own dressing room at the bottom
1: of the... So the dressing rooms were segregated yeah. based on color. Right? It was
0: it the was only one. <laughs> she was the
1: only one. Yeah. Wow. Come a
0: long way, baby. Wow. And that's
1: 1949. And nobody thought a thing about it. Yeah. Well, you did get the answer correct. And I actually didn't know that. But that's why one of the reasons i always was really engaged in your classes is because you really are a wealth of knowledge. So, oh, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Great job. Got question two right. Question three, the last question. Frank Sinatra sang Luck Be a Lady. What musical is it from? Is it A, Funny Girl, B, Oklahoma, C, Thoroughly Modern Millie, or D, Guys and Dolls?
0: Are you sure it's not? Okay, no, definitely <laughs> Guys and Dolls. Okay, correct. Guys and it. Dolls <laughs> is probably the, the ultimate American musical. Lucky A Lady Tonight and and all the songs that that came from that show. Stay with us. They've made several uh, films of it. And I think you're referring to the production that Marlon Brando, of all people, who never sang a note in his life and never danced in his life, but he was Marlon Brando. Right. So fortunately, Frank Sinatra was there, who definitely knew what he was doing. But it's a charming movie and uh, even a... A better
1: uh, stage production. You never get tired of guys and dolls. Are you saying that Marlon Brando was in a broad was in that Broadway show, the original? No. Or, oh, you're saying no, no, he no. was in a movie. He's in the movie. Was version. he? Was he lip syncing to Frank Sinatra? No, 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 oh, no, no. So they, he was Marlon they, 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 Brando singing. Yeah, he sang. And was he? Was he okay? Was yeah, it? Yeah, he it, got it? through it. So well, <laughs> he got through it. So it's kind of like when Russell Crowe was in Les Mis. How uh, yeah, to that. you could say that. Yeah. Right, right. Like it wasn't great. Well, Brando, <laughs> it, you, you have to understand that right. at that
0: time, Marlon Brando absolutely walked on water. He he just couldn't do wrong. Everything that he did, and I'm talking about Julius Caesar. He he did roles that mm-hmm. that you would have thought, well, how did this guy learn all that stuff? But he right. did. Um, it's a it's a real mystery about Marlon Brando because he he was so uh, unto himself. He uh, and everything he did, they loved. And so when it came to do Guys and Dolls, he was not a typical uh, male actor at that time, singing or dancing. Right. But if you ever
1: see the film, wow, he he's there. And it's amazing because I when I think about. The contrast of confidence between the beginning of his career towards to compared to the end of his career uh, i know marlon Brando was very insecure towards the end of his career he almost didn't do uh, apocalypse now he, oh because oh. he he really ballooned up he really got overweight and he got really insecure about that um so i i think Fra- francis ford coppola the way the story goes is that francis ford coppola uh really brought his role down to like under five minutes of screen time yes he did yeah
0: also if you ever see the film again you rarely see him above right uh, you know they're all like from the neck down yeah yeah he showed up apparently down and wherever they were filming and coppola couldn't believe his eyes He, he he didn't know what to say to him but he was marlon brando right uh if one looks at the film today it's it's still a very powerful piece but brando's appearance is so good and it doesn't matter right it really the doesn't fact that he was the way it was did you ever see a heart of darkness the documentary um you mean the documentary about the making of yeah, it yeah yeah oh that, yeah so
1: so francis ford coppola's wife secretly made a documentary on the filming of the actual making of apocalypse now uh heart of darkness is the name of the book that apocalypse now is based off of and so that's what the wife chose to name the documentary uh, but great it's story. it talks She's about great. you know how like Martin Sheen had a heart attack. It talks about um, how the production went over budget and was postponed release multiple times because of all the accidents and mistakes and uh, setbacks that the production was undergoing in that time. It's it's really an, an insane documentary that you really should watch because it's it's chilling to see how dedicated someone can be to a story. I think most people would quit under those circumstances, but that's what sets aside uh, the good breed point. that's what sets aside the breed of a filmmaker and the breed of a dedicated production Very good to point. the average joe.
0: And yeah. and you know that Martin Sheen was not the first choice, right? Who who was the first choice? Uh I don't want to say it because he he was already cast and Coppola was in an air uh, crossing through uh, changing planes and Martin Sheen was coming back from something else and they just happened to know each other and they talked and they were catching up on stuff and he was yeah. about to get on his plane and Sheen was about to get on his plane. But the more Martin Sheen talked, the more Francis Coppola was going to himself, Right, I've got the wrong guy. I've got the wrong guy Really? and they had, I don't think they had filmed yet. So he, he cast Martin Sheen. Right. And Martin Sheen, as you know, is, is so good in that. You would never have thought, um, I'd like to not reveal the other actor because he's a good actor and he was, he was cast and he was doing his job. But, um, Funny things happen like that when when a movie is being made, and Coppola felt responsible for the ultimate product, and that's at the end what we
1: all have to bear with. Oh, you wow. know, I I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Well, I wanna I wanna change focus a little bit here. I wanna talk about your life, Mr. Hunt, because here's the thing: us Oak Park High School students. We knew you as a theater teacher. We heard little snippets about your life. Every now and then, you would share an anecdote from the past and whatnot. But I, I want to ask you questions and kind of get on the record. Who is Mr. Hunt? Who is Alan Hunt? You know. Yes. Who is Mr. Hunt? Yeah. We've been trying to find this out for years. Right. You you no. were, you were born in the Bay Area, right? No, Sherman Oaks. Oh, Sherman yeah. Oaks. Sorry. You had you know. I know that you're a Giants fan, so I actually always assumed you're from the Bay Area. I, I know. That's just a. It's, a, it's
0: something from my past. When I was a kid, yeah. we were in Little League, okay. and it was always the thing at that time to be for the Major League team that you were in in Little League. right? And I was on the Giants. Now this was before, this is a long time ago, this is before uh, LA and uh, uh, San Francisco had a Major League team. So oh. it was all out of New York. So I was already a Giant fan, Oh. And when the Dodgers came here, I felt terrible because I, I wanted to be a Giant fan, even though I live in Los Angeles. So all my life, people are saying, you're a Giant fan? Right. What are
1: you doing that for? I, I was about to fall into that trap as well. <laughs> I, I was about to criticize. I can't criticize you, Mr. Hunt. But anyway, so, so okay. So so my whole life,
0: I've been a Giant fan. Wow. Willie Mays, Willie McCovey. I go to games all the time up in San Francisco. Wow. And But I don't live there it's just the
1: way i grew up and i i've stuck to it that's <laughs> that's uh drives everybody crazy right right it was about to it was about to upset me um uh, knowing that you're from sherman oaks originally <laughs> But now I know it, it's it's just that's how things ended up. See, I'm still you, a, you chose the team before they chose the city. Yeah, the Rams yeah. are
0: my favorite football team. Okay, that's I mean, L.A. And, and yeah. of course, the our, our basketball team. You, you like the Lakers? Of course. Okay, I, I mean, That's what I mean. I, I was this testing, doesn't make
1: any sense, ladies and gentlemen. I, I was testing you to make sure that you didn't like the Clippers because they're the Clippers. <laughs> but the Lakers, I can get on board with. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. In fact, I think I remember a Lakers flag or a Lakers banner in your classroom. Oh, big time. Yeah, big big time. yeah. I remember. So there was the Lakers banner. There was the Abraham Lincoln portrait because you share the same birthday as him. That's right, thank you. That's right, you. and I remember all of the t-shirts from the different plays that you had. And it went all the way around the room. All the way around the room. <laughs> and I remember uh, the the posters, the little cardboard posters with all of the faces of the cast of that play. Now, Thoroughly hmm. Modern Millie, by the way, was your biggest play. I think it had about 150 students in it. Yeah. Was that Did that give you an aneurysm? How did you maintain sanity? during the making of that play, um, 150 individual units. I understand. Yeah, what including Char- me, what Charlie's it's not easy to do <laughs> to-
0: <laughs> What Charlie's referring to is something that, as a teacher, I, I found to be quite a phenomenon. When I was first teaching there, nobody ever wanted to go out for plays. Right. They'd go, oh, I, I, I don't sing, I, I don't act, and I'd say, well, that, that's why we're here, that's, let's try this. Well, by the time Thoroughly Modern Millie came around, uh, I'm I'm happy to say that somehow we had become the the, the go-to place of uh, the the girls always in in uh, wonderful numbers, but now the boys oh there's girls here huh? they all came out for these plays. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to say I I taught them everything they know, but they just wanted to be together. That's what it was. But honestly, um, once, once this got out to them, uh, then their friends wanted to join. They wanted to be part of it too. And even, even though most of the actors and actresses had lines or things to do, we had this overflow of more boys and girls. So I, we found things for them. We'd give them a, a special little line or a special little uh, moment uh, so that their mother and father and the audience would go, that's my son, right? <laughs> and yeah, we we began to have hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty in our cast, and uh, boy, it was it was wonderful. I mean, I liked that rather than oh, too many kids, you know. But um, I'm sorry to say, in more recent times, um, it's gone quite the other way, and it's down to small productions of six people, eight people right now. Yeah.
1: Really? Yeah. Okay. I don't know who decided that or whatever, but uh that's the way it is. That's a, a wild contrast to what it used to <laughs> yeah. be. I just remember <laughs> I just remember uh these these grand sets. Thoroughly modern Millie in particular had an amazing set that uh uh Enoch, Dr. Enoch. Yeah. Right, Dr. Enoch? Doc Enoch. Doc yeah. Enoch, yeah. yeah. He he made this incredible set where um it's you know, Thoroughly Modern Millie, it's oh no no, I'm thinking of um not thoroughly modern Millie, I'm thinking of um, bye Bye Bertie.
0: excuse me, Bye Bye Bertie. Well, Don, Don Enoch, who I think you're talking about, yeah, was a master uh, builder of, of sets that were so far beyond what a high school could expect. Right. We just, <laughs> get us Mr. Enoch. And, right. and this dear man uh, used to come to me and go, you know, I really want to direct. And I'd say, oh, that's all right, Donna. Uh, but, but right now we just need a set. <laughs> and he would do the set because he was a beloved teacher there and was a very busy teacher. Mm. But he always uh, gave us sets that were
1: far beyond high school. And it, it made us all very yeah feel very lucky. For, for Bye Bye Birdie, which is kind of a spoof on Elvis Presley, there is a giant record, like a literal giant record in the middle of, like a vinyl, excuse mm-hmm. me, in the middle of the stage and uh, he managed to create a pulley system that spun it very slowly um, that That's made right. the set incredibly interactive.
0: Wonderful. I thought that was amazing. And the kids could stand on this giant oversized record. Right. It would move slowly enough, but it was so perfect for right. the dance numbers right. and just just the fact that Bye Bye Birdie is such a, such a hit anyway. Right. I mean, you just can't hurt it. <laughs> right. No matter what you're doing with, ladies and gentlemen. But our productions, we had a large stage, mm-hmm. but so often we would take some of the action off the stage, right down into the audience. And thank heaven we did because we didn't close the curtain to change scenes. And if you're not going to do that, you're, you're being very rough on your audience because nobody wants to just wait while the curtains close and then there's a long pause and then All it right. opens again. This way the curtain would close, but then there's this action down down on the in the house right some even up into the audience sometimes we had some chases and they would go up and one down uh, the audience would go yikes what am I doing here right (laughs) but uh, yeah Don Enoch was a saint he helped us
1: a lot with all of those great sets of his absolutely and that's not to overlook uh, Russell Peters as well mr. Peters not the comedian um, <laughs> there's a great comedian out there named Russell Peters, but we had a different Russell Peters. Um, is that have...
0: right? There's a com- comic named Russ
1: Peters. Oh yeah he's he's a uh he's a huge he does a lot of great impressions. No uh, kidding. Oh he's I, hysterical. I don't know this. That's oh, great. oh yeah, no he's he's actually really hysterical. Um, but our Russell Peters, uh, did you know just really I think. Rounded up the troops really well. He, he would always organize the the different crews that would make all the different sets Great and whatnot. Right hand man, he I, was there. And I remember for even the black box plays, he outdid himself. Like when we did Sweeney Todd, Sweeney Todd was our black box play. Um, black box, you meaning, explain what black's black, play, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I'll let the master no, explain. No, it. no, you tell it. You oh, tell okay, it. I'll, well, if you, if you insist, <laughs> and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but black box is basically a minimalist set, there's actually almost no set at all. Um, generally speaking, you almost always have a wooden black box that the actors interact with, with, uh, minimal costumes. Typically everyone's dressed in all black and it's kind of there for a few reasons. There's the financial reason of it just being uh, more (laughs) cost effective for the play. But also there's the, um, there's the creative reason, which is that it gives the audience the chance to really see it in their own vision. Now, am I, am I wrong about any of that? That's or? wonderful, Charlie. Okay. That's a great analogy.
0: Okay, okay, wonderful. Black box theater is when you have no budget, no big sets, and everyone's wearing black. <laughs> so you can't say, well, how come he gets to wear that? Yeah, everyone's in black. Right. And I, as Charlie's saying, the, the whole focus is the play. Right. And of course, the actors and actresses. So we would do major musicals, all that stuff, But then we would do a black box production, and the kids seemed just as enthusiastic
1: about that, too. They were cool. The play is the thing. Yeah. No, they were really cool. And uh, the thing that what I wanted to give uh, Mr. Peters credit for was, besides always telling us that he used to be in the CIA... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I remember very distinctly. He would just never give up on that. He had to really tell, tell everybody that he used to be It the made CIA. everybody
0: toe the line. They didn't, uh, they didn't right. mess with Mr. Peter.
1: That was a whole thing. But, um, he managed to still create the slide in Sweeney Todd. When, when, when you, when you die in Sweeney Todd, you go down the slide and then you like go down the chute at the bottom, uh, where, where, uh, they go to make the pies. Um, uh, really dark play, as everyone should know by now uh, <laughs> but like, I just remember being so amazed and also also that slide was fun that was a fun slide, yeah <laughs> you know you, you couldn't you couldn't be upset at that slide at all you just you, you'd go down, you'd just have a good yeah. time, yeah, yeah, that was a good time that's good, man yeah. thank you yeah how did you how did you get your start, Mr Hunt oh
0: well, you know i I suppose every actor's story is different. I tell you, I, I don't know where this came from, but when I was just a little kid, everyone in my neighborhood either played baseball or they did this and this. For some reason, I, I made up plays. That was my favorite thing to do. And for some other reason, all the kids in my neighborhood Came to go. Hey, can I be in that play too? I mean, uh, do you need another guy? Do you need a, my sister? She's you know. So we we began to do plays in my backyard, which was pretty spacious where we were living, and uh, I didn't think a thing of, of it. I, I just thought, doesn't everyone want to do plays? <laughs> doesn't everyone <laughs> want to be in in show business? And uh, that's fun. S- yeah, and I it was it was considered. Um, I'll always remember this. Uh, one of my best friends at that time, a guy named Robert Joyner, he he said something that I thought was so funny one time. We were talking about one of our plays and we were talking about who we could use from the neighborhood. And when it came time to name somebody, my friend Robert went, oh, he's a phony actor. And I went, oh, oh. I never thought of it that way. He said, no, 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 we want a good actor. And I hadn't ever... I was just trying to get people in the plays, but uh, I never forgot that. That even as a kid, he's a good actor. He's a phony actor.
1: We want good actors, and it's kind of a funny statement. A phony uh, actor, yeah, a phony actor, right. right? That's true. But he's playing pretend. That playing pretend, so yeah, that's whoa. true. What's he doing?
0: <laughs> I don't know where this all came right. from, but but I grew up doing this, right? So. The, the older I got, the closer I was to doing real stuff because I was in Los Angeles. And uh, uh, I seemed to always be in the in the ballpark of what they were looking for. If, if I was reading for a role or auditioning, um, they, they seemed to like what I was doing. And I didn't know what that was, but I'll keep on doing it. And uh, that seemed to work. And I just grew up doing it. All my life and I'm still doing it. Right. Until I get it right, ladies and gentlemen. Right, right. That's what they're trying to tell me.
1: And, and you brought over some, some visual aids as well. Where, um do you do you mind if we grab that? I wanna I wanna take a look at some of these uh, wonderful uh, some of these wonderful things. And I'm glad that, you know, originally this episode was only was only gonna be audio only. Uh, but then Mr. Hunt, uh, I, I was thinking about it and I was like, No, this is a special interview. Let's do audio and video. Oh great. Yeah, let's make it a full on okay. production. And so then that's when um, well, now here's an example. Now he's got these visual aids, okay?
0: So this is a production that I directed, and that's me in the middle taking up too much room. But the Walt- boys in autumn. These two actors you might all recognize from being Walter Koenig, and this actor you also remember. Uh, they have been in for many years. Uh this is a production called The Boys in Autumn.
1: Right. And is that is that Khan mm-hmm. from Star Trek? That's yeah, that's Khan. I, I grew up my, my dad had all the VHSs of, of all the Star Trek stuff. So I started I had a little phase where I was watching all his VHSs, and that's how I know about Khan. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, that's Mark Leonard okay.
0: and Walter Koenig. Now the two of them had been stars in that show for eons, it seems. Right. And they both wanted to do a play totally out of anything to do with that. And this is uh, an original play called The Boys in Autumn. It's a story of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn 40 years later. And it's a two-character play. And uh, we had a wonderful hit with it. We had some nice reviews And, uh, I got to direct it, which was fun because I wasn't in the play, but they both knew me and trusted me. And we, we did it, uh, uh, not only in Los Angeles, but, uh, at several of the big conventions at that time, boy, if you had anything whatsoever to do with, uh, the, the show that these guys were talking about, um... they, they flocked to see us because it wasn't because of the play or anything or my direction. It was the fact that they were both in it. Right. And we had a wonderful time. And this full page ad was uh, part of what we were so happy to see. Amazing. They, they had a great, great run. And I really liked working with them.
1: That must have been really a treat.
0: Mark's not with us anymore, but Walter is. And Walter's still one of my best friends. Really? All these years, yeah.
1: Wow. So I, I got a question for you then. Have he already done Con? Was he already in Star Trek? Oh yeah, yeah, they, yeah. So, they
0: had been in in that show for some ten years by the time we did this.
1: So how did you connect with him? How did how did that initial well, Walter, meeting start?
0: Well, Walter and I have been great friends all our lives. We used to we used to compete against each other for for roles. Then he got this this other play that took him out of the stratosphere. They were. Uh, bookends to anything uh, that the American public would want to see. Right, They had been in Star Trek for decades. Right. And the show got over and over again and all the things they did. And they worked um, together all these years. And whenever they'd go to these giant conventions, and I mean, I've never seen anything like this, right. where they would sign autographs all day long, sure. and it was just so wonderful... And they came to me, now Walter was an old friend, and they came to me to do this play. It's a two-character play called right. Tom Sawyer. Right. Huckleberry Finn meeting 40 years
1: later. The Boys in Autumn. Right. Boys in
0: Autumn. Mm-hmm. And they they had such a good hit of it in Los Angeles, they said, we want to take this to those conventions. Wow. So I tagged along with them. That's fun. And that was very nice. And this is really funny. I mean, this is very self serving to say. But when we got there, the people that were running the convention said, Are you Alan Hunt? And I said, Yes. Do I owe you any money? And they said, No, <laughs> no, but aren't you from Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea? And I said, Yes, I have to admit that. And that, uh, we didn't have that kind of coverage like they right. did with, but um, they announced it. And they said, we just found out that the director of the play is is Stu Riley from Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. And everybody went crazy. And I I had never done this before. Right. We didn't have the kind of publicity like like they did. Right. But uh, so I got to
1: tag along on these and and sign some autographs. That's really cool. How can you stop these things? That's really wonderful. So but, that's a really interesting blend of genres, though, because I I could see Voyage at the Bottom of the Sea and Star Trek being in the same convention. Oh yeah, but yeah. this play about Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer, along with Star Trek, is a very interesting blend. That's so, what they. That's a good point. Right. That's so were people were people um in the audience in their Star Trek costumes? All of them. Watching you would not believe what
0: people do to get into these conventions. That's amazing. That's but, amazing. But to answer your question, yeah, as a special attraction, uh, at the these conventions go on for about a week, right? And everybody comes from all over the world right. to get their autographs, and they they, to so to do this production, sure, um, was an extra. Okay. It was a play, and they all paid extra to see it. And to see them as Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, we had just done it in Los Angeles, right? But we we hit the road. We went to Chicago. We went to New York. That must
1: have been such a fun time. It was, yeah. yeah. And
0: I was just tagging along as right. the director, right? But uh, that thing about my being on Voyage wasn't that known, and that that was a huge thing, right? I had never done all that. Now, how but, many years had you been on Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea? I was on it for one and a half years. The uh, the show originally was in black and white, mm-hmm. and it was not with any of us in it. Richard Basehart was in it, and David Hedison. But the next year, they they did it in color. This is when there was black and white TV, and, and there was color. Everything changed. <laughs> everything right. changed. Right. But they added several characters, and I was one of them. Right. The youngest kid on the sh- on the ship, uh, on voyage, and. I played a character named Stu Riley. Okay. And I was the surfer kid, always getting into trouble. Okay. But but strangely, always going along on the really dangerous missions. Right. Like with the Admiral and the captain. Sure. I was always along. Sure. But when they did that, this was uh wonderful for me and I I loved what we were doing. But at that time there was a great build up in our uh in our doings down in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And if you were in your early 20s and a guy, mm-hmm. you'd better either be married or in college. Mm-hmm. That would keep you exempt. Right. I was neither. So you you were drafted. I was going to be drafted. You were going to be drafted. I found out that I, was, I had no choice that the Army was going to draft me. So quite by chance, uh, I had about a week before I was to report I got out of my car in Pasadena to do some shopping or something, and there was this Marine Corps recruit office. And it said, for, for this time only, a two-year enlistment. And I walked in and I said, is this true? It's it's for two years only? And they said, yeah, we're we're doing it for the first time ever in our Marine Corps history. And I said, well, look, I'm about to go into the Army, and I'd much rather be in the Marines if it's the same amount of time. Right. And they did.
1: And I know right said, now there's, there's a bunch of veterans listening to this right now who are going, hoorah!
0: Like, yeah, like they're really, they're
1: like really, like, <laughs> they they love hearing that. Okay.
0: Well, you know, the Marines are the smallest branch. They're okay. they okay. a part of the Navy, but they don't like to say that. So it's right, right. The Navy, the Army, the Air <laughs> Force, and the Marine Corps. Right. And I, um, I'm so glad I did. Uh, I served the two years, and when I got back, uh, Voyage had just uh, been canceled. So,
1: right. <laughs> so the one year that I was on, that's that's my claim to fame. Well, so I, I opens up so many questions. How did you leave Voyage then? Like, did they have to? Did they have to kill off your character? In- no.
0: I, as a matter of fact, I thought they would find another kid, another. Right. But they right. didn't. Erwin Allen, the producer, I must say, when he heard that I was going to go in the service, he said. We're not going to replace you. Your job will be here when you get back.
1: Wow! And I said, "Wow, class, that's amazing." It was amazing, but yeah. in two years, that's when Voyage was canceled. Wow! So yeah, so so story-wise, in Voyage at the Bottom of the Sea, does your character just leave the show? Yeah, and they they got lots of letters. They said, "What happened to that guy? What happened to Stu Riley?" Really? So this abrupt. At departure from the show yeah no no explanation no they everyone's expo- that's so amazing to me that they that they would just do that I I know I probably wow. would give them more yeah.
0: trouble to to explain Look, mr. Hunt who is really Stu Riley he has to go to Vietnam for two years and right. we'll, you know they they just couldn't do that and so okay but by joining the Marines I I had some cousins that were also in the Marines. And I thought, if I have to do two years, I'll, I'll do it with the Marine Corps, which right. I
1: did, and I'm right. glad I did. So. That's great. And so now you're in the Marine Corps, and what, 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 did you, what was your role, what, what did you do in the Marine Corps? I was a,
0: I ended up being a corporal. And of all things, at that time, you were shipped either to Vietnam or to uh, Okinawa.
1: Okinawa, okay. Okinawa. So you were on an island Okinawa, o- yeah.
0: Island. Okinawa was our our liftoff point mm-hmm. to go to Vietnam. Right. And when I was in boot camp, they choose what you're going to do in boot camp, what you're going to do in, in the Marines. Right. For some reason, I was chosen to be uh, paperwork, something like that. Kind of like, a, like an office? Yeah, office thing. Yeah. And... So I, okay, I'll do what you you want me to do. So I was in Okinawa, and believe it or not, I was there for about two weeks, and the armed forces television and radio was running there they, for all our guys over there to to miss, you know, television and all that. Sure. And Voyage was on poised to the bottom <laughs> of the sea was on over there. And I'd kept this a wonderful secret. I didn't want to be saying any of that. Well, well, what do you think would have happened if they found out? Oh, hazing. hazing you know, a lot of hazing, you know, That yeah. kind of stuff. What, what kind of hazing did you see? I was, well, I was a private. I sure. was a private first class. Sure. And I was a corporal, but I wasn't an officer or something right, like right, that. Right, right, right. But the, the most miraculous things happened to me. First, I was thinking, oh, I have to leave the show. I've got to be in Okinawa. Well, in Okinawa... Mm-hmm. Wonderful things happened to me. First, they, they found out who I was and they said, <laughs> "Do you, can you do television? Can you do? And I said, "Well, yeah, that's what I do. They said, well, we'd rather have you do that than work in that clerical office. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm serving wherever you want me to do. And I did. So there was a, a weekly show there called This Week in Okinawa, and I was the host of it. And I interviewed people coming in and going out of the island. Are you serious? Yeah, I had no idea. I know. I, I I did whatever they asked me to do this week in Okinawa. And at the end of my time in Okinawa, I then came back to the United States, and I had two more months on my term. Uh-huh. And when you've got that short a time, when they say short, right? That's that's you have two more months to go. So what are you going to do when you're back in Camp Pendleton? I said, look, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And they said, well, why don't you clean out these waste baskets? and why don't you do that? I said, okay, I did whatever said. Right. And then finally, um, they called me in and said, look, you've got two more months to go. If you, and, and you're just wasting your time here, but we can't let you go. But would you be interested in taking classes at any college you're near? And I said, sure. They said, well. You're near Pasadena City College if you if you choose two classes there, we can let you go now. And I went, "You're kidding." And they said, "No, because I live in South Pasadena at that time. Wow, so I did. Wow and I, I went to my two classes. one was uh, was uh, the the history of theater, and the other I forgot the other one. But anyway, I did two months, right, and then I was released from the Marine Corps. It they, they was those those classes were based in show business, I assume. No, they were things that I chose. Okay, they, it, as long as they were chosen within their their realm. Right. So I did, and after two months, I was released, and I, I called up. I went out to Twentieth Century Fox, and I saw Irwin Allen, and he said, "Allen, we've just been canceled." Ah. Oh. And I said, "Well." <laughs> I got here as
1: quick as I could. Right. Right. But that's that's how that happened. So, I got to I got to ask you, you know, this is this the story that you told, I actually I knew that you served. I didn't know to what capacity. I didn't know what it was like. Right? And now that I've heard it, I was kind of expecting some grueling story, especially knowing that you were in the Marine Corps. Cuz you hear about these Marines and you hear about, you know, the the treacherous boot camp, the physical training that they went through, yeah, which there, I know you went through as well. There is that, yeah. yeah. It's good for you, though. It, it's really good for you, I'm sure. And then you hear about the stories of, you know, anxiety leading up to the draft, getting drafted into Vietnam, going there, you know, surviving the, jun- the jungle, and then coming back and then being spit on by society because people didn't uh, uh, accept you. Unbelievable. And you hear about... um just the horror stories of what it's like to be in the jungle alone mm-hmm. you know fighting fighting charlie as they say but you know really uh uh going through this horrible uh experience of of just trying to make it to the next day yeah and not knowing what tomorrow's gonna look like yeah and and being in in this uh place where uh the sm- the smallest mistake can end your life in seconds you sure can so That's very observant of you, yeah, I, I gotta ask you, you know, yeah, there's a lot of luck involved in your story where they didn't they didn't send you to Vietnam, they sent you to Okinawa, and they 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 put you in Showcast. and, 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 and you know, a lot of this wasn't up to you. it was no. it was gifted to you it was it was it was you know something great, but I can't help but feel like that comes from just your positive outlook on life. Oh, thanks. I, you know, cause they, they talk about how the positivity you put out there comes back to you. Hmm. You've always alluded that, you know, what is your secret? What, how do you do that? Oh, thanks. <laughs>
0: that sounds like I, I made this happen. I don't know, but I, I can tell you this, this is funny. When I was in boot camp, you just do what you're told. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't stand out in any one way, but, um, when I uh, when I was going through boot camp, mm-hmm. they we get rifle training, and one of the things that I got was a sharpshooter medal. Wow! And I thought, what the hell did I do that for? I should have <laughs> I should have missed the target. You know, they're gonna. But no, I'm just kidding. But they uh, that put me in this higher rank, really, and because uh, they they want good shooters. You right, know? sure, sure. Or, hey, hey
1: And that, that's how
0: you became corporal. Well, I didn't become corporal till you graduate from your boot camp, okay. and then you go out into the world wherever you're sent. Right. And for sure, a private, and right. then private first class, okay. and then a corp- lance corporal, lance corporal, and then corporal. Got it. So I made it through all four, in in less than my two years. Wow. So I was a corporal when I finally finished in Okinawa, uh-huh. and they sent me back to Camp Pendleton, and with two months to go. And that's when they said to me, look, why don't you take some college courses? Right. (laughs) You're just wasting time. So I did. And uh, then I went right back to work when I got out.
1: But where does that positivity that you've always had come from? It seems so innate. It seems so, I I guess, I guess for someone like myself, you know, positivity wasn't always the first gut reaction to feel, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. It, it, maybe that's just how I'm hardwired and built, but you naturally have that as an artist as a as a director. oh thanks I you know i I don't think about it that way,
0: I guess, but um, I like to make the best of things that I'm given, whatever that mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And when I was first at Oak Park, I don't know if you even know this, but I was a guest of the school. I wasn't a teacher, I was a guest. I didn't know that um and they didn't have a drama director of any kind yeah so I was brought there just as a as a guest of the school Mm -hmm. and they they called me in at the end of the summer or whenever it was and said you know you should think about this you know you're really good with the kids and you you know what you're talking about and I so I said but I don't have a I don't have a teaching credential and they said well we know that and we we have it all figured out that you can do this in a certain way that would you're coming from a certain profession Mm-hmm. And that counts. Right. So I said, "Oh, well, in that case." Uh, right. So that's how it happened. And I I began teaching, literally teaching classes there. And they let me choose the plays and I I loved it because uh, it's nice to pass stuff on that mm-hmm. that you yourself love right and as i've been kidding you charlie as you know we, right. we never had guys it was always girls right. it was Always but, girls. but by the time charlie
1: came around <laughs> we had guys in the plays and that that in itself was a triumph well i i, I don't think i broke any any barriers per se because i remember when i got there i had the i had the people that i looked up to you know there was um you know young 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 guys like alexander mckee uh-huh also Carter, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Tiro Schneider, yeah. You know these are all guys that um, great kids were, were there way before me. But I remember when I joined theater, in my mind they were the giants. They were like they, it, it. Working with them was like uh, being in the room with Tom Cruise. Nice. And then I mean like Ari Stidham as well. Yeah. You know I remember him being in Mary Wives of Windsor. Yeah. I think that was the only play we ever did together. He was uh, he was the main uh, antagonist of the story. Yeah. And um, Ari today, I know he did the show Big. I know he was in the show Scorpion. Scorpion, I think yeah. is what the show was called. Yeah. I was following his career loosely, but, like, you know, it was it was amazing to see that there was this actual professional actor that's actually gone on mainstream TV and had his own characters in TV shows in different spots, really make it, and I was like, I acted with that guy. I did it, <laughs> you know? I I think maybe the moral of the story about your, about your story is that um, – just to have a half glass, a glass half full kind of attitude about these things, I, I think you know, I bringing it. it back to the about you, you know, I from what you've taught me, you really look at the world as glass half full. Yeah, and yeah, that's, that's, that's true. That's kind that's of your true. superpower. I you know. don't know if it is or not. You do <laughs> Do you not think so? No, I mean, uh, there are those that would say, "Hey,
0: man, my glass is half empty." Right. You know, I I never thought of it that way, but I I've heard that analogy. Yeah. And what else are we going to do with our lives? You're sure. going to either like it that
1: way or you're not going to like it that way. Right. So I'll take the glass half full. Sure. Can I, what, what was the pandemic like for you? The pandemic? Yeah, sure. I mean, we all survived this, this crazy thing in 2020. And, and I guess where I'm thinking is that, you know, that must have been a test for your positivity because a lot of your story relies on connectivity with people you know, and these really oh, amazing things. Oh, I things. see what you're saying. And so, I mean, what what was that like for you?
0: Well, in my case, uh, I was very lucky when the school allowed me to do this. They they got me a teaching credential mm-hmm. so I could literally teach, um, which I really loved. And I, I began to go way beyond just the teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I loved the classes. I, I liked teaching things that, I thought they would like and so forth. Uh, many times I would love it when the kids would come into my class, like after the bell would ring, they'd come in and they'd come in and they go, ah, oh. i say, what, is it air conditioning? they say, no, it, things are nice here. Nobody's mad. Nobody's <laughs> angry about something. And I, I didn't know this was some big deal. And uh, not that, I mean, kids didn't say it like I was a pushover or something, but I was, Agreeable. I would. Yeah. We would do things together.
1: You were a very calming, therapeutic presence. That is. Oh true. yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, Still that's,
0: are. That's. How yeah. Be. I, yeah. But...
1: There's no. There's no troubles here in the studio right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can fix that, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. No. Let's do it. <laughs> but, but anyway,
0: my classroom, as you know, was at the end of the of the building, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't come to realize till years later that why the kids would come in going. Oh, and I said, "Was oh, is it hot out? And they say, no, no, it's now we can relax. Right. Now we can, and they still learned. Sure. We did everything asked of them uh, for all their teachings and stuff, but I had no idea. I, I don't compare with other teachers. Right. I wouldn't go to other rooms going, do you do, you do this then? I didn't do that. Right. So anyway, it was fun. And
1: did you explain? Did you also teach during twenty twenty as well, or, or when, when did you? When were you gone out of actually? Twenty twenty was the last year for me. Okay, um,
0: I finished. <clears throat> excuse me, I finished the classes that I had, and uh, it was a terrible breakdown at school. And mm-hmm. we weren't doing plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, theater was closed, and a lot of what I do was not. Being allowed at this particular time, right? Which un- understood and Heidi Sissel, you remember, of course. Uh, I know were, she just retired. We were partners. Yes, she yes, did. Yes, I was did. at her graduation. Yeah, uh, dear friend, we collaborated on all our shows, and she called me and said, "I don't have anybody to collaborate with. You're gone." I said, "Well, isn't there another director?" And one of the moms, I think, stepped in or something, but it it wasn't the same. Right. And I don't know what they're doing now.
1: Right. But uh, I did go to to Heidi's graduation. Right. That was really fun. That must have been really special. You saw a lot of alumni? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's great. In fact,
0: Heidi wanted me to put on my robe and and walk with her. Oh,
1: that would have been wonderful. I said, that's cheating. I've already graduated. (laughs)
0: She said, no, no, no.
1: So, but
0: anyway. That would have been great. Wow! But this is great, Charlie, because knowing you at that time when you were in school and now seeing you doing this
1: kind of work, man, this is, this is really nice to see. No, I, I appreciate it, Mr. Hunt. You know, I, it, it, I, I, ask you about, I ask you about happiness because everyone handled the pandemic so differently. I, you know what? You know who else, who else was on my podcast from Oak Park High School was uh, Yael Karoli. Oh. And we, we had an episode... Uh, I interviewed her just as the pandemic started because when the pandemic began, I continued my podcast, but we did it remotely. So it was uh-huh. all being done on Zoom now. Well, she, she's in New York, right? She's in New York. Yeah. So we would have had to do it on Zoom anyway. But my mindset before that was podcasts have to be in person, and then pandemic happened, and that forced me, along with a lot of people, to modernize and get accustomed to this new digital ecosystem very quickly, <laughs> oh, right? So now we're all using Zoom. And I I interviewed Yaël Caroli, and um, Yaël, and I talked about being an artist during the pandemic. What is that like right now? And she told me her story. She told me her story about you know auditioning on Zoom. Yeah, and um, even after the pandemic, I know that auditions still happen on Zoom because the talent agents just find it more convenient. Sure, you know it's, it's easier. Right it's easy. It's just so much easier. Um, and on top of that, I think you see a lot of. I I think we all handle it very different. I, I I certainly handled my pandemic uniquely. You know, I I um, to catch you up to speed, uh, I was living in uh, West LA. I wasn't living too far away from where I live now, mm-hmm. and um, a lot was happening. I had a different job. I had a job at the nonprofit, um. Just about within like the same month, you know, I, I lost my job, I lost my living situation, wow, and I lost my girlfriend at the time, all within a very short time span. Thanks come in like, bunches, man. You know, when it when it rains, it pours. You wow. know, in like a one to two month time span, all of that faded away. Do you mind my asking why you guys broke up? We we broke up because uh, she had been laid off from her job, mm-hmm. and she was from originally from Texas. Yeah. So she oh, had to move back um, yeah. and live with family, and I can't do long-distance relationships. <laughs> I, I, I need someone here physically present. I, so, I understand that. Yeah. I, I can't see how you could not have done that. Right, personally. right. Because what hap- what my experience with long-distance is that when you're dating someone long-distance, unless it's for a temporary period of time and you're going to link up again and it's all going to be fine and dandy, um, what happens is you're not dating that person. You're dating the idea of that person. And there's a big distinction between those two things. Oh yes. And if I'm falling in love with the idea of a person, then I'm not actually dating the person, and I just don't want to do that to either of us because that just creates suffering. It just creates this uh, unnecessary. strife. But you're in, you're in touch with her, aren't you? Um, we haven't spoken in a long time. Wow. Yeah. She doesn't call you. It doesn't. It's it's um yeah she uh, you know she's she's off in grad school and I I know she's doing documentary stuff and you know going all over the world so i it's wow. just been hard to get in touch with her but yes, was... i but i am but i am proud of her uh-huh. you know um her name is Shelley, and shelly and I shelly's uh uh doing a lot of good stuff out there and i'm i'm really proud of her how long were you guys together we were together for nine months nine and i think I, I i know we would have been together longer uh had it not been for uh us being laid off because eventually i was laid off too mm-hmm. and um you know, I had to move back to uh, my parents' place. They moved to Oxnard right before the pandemic oh, began. great. <laughs> so i no longer in Thousand Oaks and now even farther away. And oh, they, my Lord. You know, they actually do live in a lovely place. They live right <laughs> off the water. Oh, nice. But um the problem was for me is that, you know, not to speak poorly about people who live in Oxnard, but aside from it being far away, I was very... uh very uh i I stuck out like a sore thumb because i was like one of the few young people there interesting and and on top of that um a lot of people have the mentality of uh their lives kind of winding down where i'm in this mindset of where i need to wind up i decided what a concept yeah yeah you know (laughs) i i decided in that time you know i need to build my business because that's the only thing i can lean on i i had this conclusion uh at that time where you know there's no job that's ever going to value me there's no job that's ever going to respect me uh no matter how much of an asset i might become i have to become my own entrepreneur in order to keep something for Mm -hmm. a long time so i left and i decided to build this business even though i i i was producing uh three podcasts at the very beginning it was my podcast it was my dad's podcast, and then it was a woman named Kaylee at the time. So that was the entire business right there. But um, I learned in that time how to network. I learned in that time how to sell. I learned in that time the administrative side of business. I learned the finance of it, and I really had to kind of lean on, this, uh, on the left brain a lot more than I typically do, as opposed to the right brain, which is my natural instinct as an only child. So I spend that entire pandemic learning this new skill this new skill set and i'm grateful that i went through that because you know even though the pandemic the you know the year 2020 was the hardest year of my life i do look back at that year fondly because that created the most growth for me good for you man 2021 um i really pursued this fitness journey and i started losing weight so i used to be 30 pounds heavier now i'm 30 pounds lighter 30 pounds yeah i was i was i was hunky yeah thank you hey i didn't go through the same boot camp you went through but you know i did eat (laughs) a lot more apples and that helped (laughs) so (laughs) i i I trained myself uh anytime i wanted uh that extra snack i would always eat an apple i always had like that was my that was how i got away from eating that snack good for you yeah yeah so i lost a lot of weight uh by kind of um training this new pavlovian response to crave apples basically um anywho 2021 around March around my birthday was when I figured out I could move out when I finally closed my last this, this major deal, I started producing shows by that point I had about seven podcasts that I was producing Jeez. Um, and then I, I realized okay I can I can move out now mm-hmm. So today I produce 14 shows and including this one. really yeah yeah and i have a few i have a few freelancers who i'm on the brink of employing wow yeah and um it's a very small company but it's growing ever so steadily when do you sleep young man um (laughs) no i i actually still find time to sleep because oh good there are some nights where you have to you know do some crazy graveyard shift and you're working late at night oh yeah you know you have some nights like that but that's that's the that's the life of an entrepreneur and um I'm I I've, I've never had as rewarding of a lifestyle as I have now. You know I, I'm I'm grateful. This is why I look back at 2020 so fondly is because um, the sweat equity I put into that year I get to reap the spoils of today. Great way to look at it. And and um that's my happiness comes from um gratitude. You know, um I I, I teach myself it, gratitude is a is a muscle that needs to be worked out the same way as your biceps. You need to keep on um, putting in the reps and finding things to be grateful for on a regular basis. And um, I remember when I learned and embraced the concept of gratitude, I even played a game with myself. I play, I called it the gratitude game, <laughs> where I'd walk around and I would say, like, is there anything in my field of vision that I can't be grateful for? I would work really hard to find something not to be grateful for. Even if there was um, someone who was a jerk that I came across. Right? Just like not a nice person at all. I could still find gratitude for that person, because they taught me what not to be, and that's something to be grateful for. Great way to look at it, you know. So I and I, by the way, I, you know, I'm I'm not perfect. I still have my pessimistic days. I'm I'm right now turning the corner for some major social anxiety I was dealing I've been dealing with lately, and I'm feeling much better. Like the world's off my shoulders. Wow, I feel man. great. Good but for I, you. But I I have my humps. I have I have these bad days where. You know, it's, it's hard to see the world half full, you know?
0: I know. So it's a
1: dichotomy, but yeah. drive
0: crazy. Yeah. I think you're doing just fine, young man. Thank you, Mr. Hunt. Yeah. Thank you. Good humor.
1: And you know what you're doing. I appreciate good. it. You know, I said it, I said it in the car drive over here. I drove Mr. Hunt from my apartment to the studio and I'll say it again. Um, You really were the most pivotal teacher I ever had. Really? Yeah. Wow. You really were, you know, you taught with kindness, you were nurturing, you gave me these experiences that changed my life that I branded my business off of as a matter of fact. <laughs> and you know, I, I nothing nothing will ever change that. So, can I say it? Please. You will thrive. Thank you, Mr. Hunt.
0: This young man took one line from Shakespeare and it has become his his mark uh, line throughout his whole life and you will you will thrive. Thank you Mr. Hunt. I salute it, you man. It really means a lot. Cool.
1: Thank you. So to wrap this podcast up.
0: Yeah, by the way, oh. how long have we been talking? I don't know. Uh, we must have gone over an hour by now. We
1: must have. I don't I don't know. It, it, it's worth it's worth every minute. <laughs> but if someone out there listening right now wanted to reach out to you, what is the best way to contact you? Oh, D- uh, or do you want people to contact you at all? Oh, of course, sure. No, I <laughs> I, I
0: I used to get a lot of fan mail when I was on the show and things like that, and I mm-hmm. still get some things like that. But I always answer. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to know what I'm doing now and things like that, and I'm delighted at that attention. But um, for me, right now, uh, I am uh, I'm in a, a kind of a impasse where uh, I have been. Uh, I stopped teaching, and then in this interim, I've been able to put things all throughout my life that I've never been able to get to. You know, there's that corner and that room and other things, and I've always been busy, just so busy to the point where this is actually something I'm enjoying. Good, I'm finding things that I didn't know I still had or, or that I've lost. Or something, and um, I, I guess you could say it's an impasse period for me. Uh, my my theater work, my directing, all these things I still wish to keep doing. Uh, I don't I don't have a I don't have a um, a sense that in my work I'm going to retire. Good. You don't retire from this kind of work. Good. I did it as a kid.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I've been doing it all my life, and um, I continue. I want to continue. I as I long as that. they'll lift me up there. And the good news is, you will thrive. I'll thrive. <laughs> I'll thrive. Thank you. Thank you. Isn't it wonderful that one line from Shakespeare, in a dialogue that this young man was given, all he had to do was say it, like any other actor in our show, but it 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 rang a bell somewhere with you and it's been your, it's been your, uh, your slogan. My name is mm-hmm. and I shall thrive. Yeah, It's so wonderful. Yeah. I just think that's so funny. I, everybody that passed through our, our halls that's at the Oak park, uh, you know, everybody has impressions about things and a lot of them loved the plays they love doing them not for their life's work mm-hmm. although some have branched off mm-hmm. but 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 for you Charlie this is this has been something to see because you're doing great things and you're finding a way to to keep them together for yourself which in essence is the best thing any of us can ask in our lives you know mm-hmm. now the girl that you you were with she went one way you're in another. Mm-hmm. You're a young guy. I mean, something's going to happen. You, you know, something's going to happen. Yeah. yeah, and probably when you least expect it. That's how life works. I know. I know. That's you what, go to a you can I, go to a singles bar. Yeah. you can say, "Here I am," but it doesn't work that way.
1: That's what. That's why. That's why <laughs> dating is so frustrating. You know.
0: Yeah. Don't let it get to you. It's crazy. <laughs> no, I know. I know. Because girls are very brave lately. They're. They they uh they speak right up. They're they not do. timid, waiting to be you know. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, it's that old thing. What's that old expression? When you least expect it, it smile. You're on. Oh, that's Candid Camera. When you least expect it, you're elected. You're the smile today. Smile. You're on Candid. Remember that old show? No, I
1: don't. Oh, you know? Oh, oh, oh.
0: <laughs> well, for years, Candid Camera. Was this hit? Okay. You never missed candid camera. Uh-huh. It's things being done with cameras, and they don't know they're being photographed. Yeah. And it would never be, you know, against their will or something. Sure. But really funny, funny scenes, and that was their their theme song. Love that. Smile. You're on candid camera. Love that. Yeah, Love man.
1: That. But um, uh, the the main question was uh, what what is the best way people can reach out to you?
0: Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm I'm available.
1: I mean, I I
0: have a, I have um, uh, I have my my paperwork is is there. I'm I'm available. I I answer letters.
1: Um, yeah, I I'm I'm out there. Okay. Yeah. Well, then I'll I'll get that information. All that information will be displayed in the show notes of this episode. And finally, you heard it here first, folks. Yeah. And finally, Mister Hunt the question I ask everybody everybody on this podcast, my final question, what will you be famous for?
0: Oh, good heavens. This isn't something that the person being asked should ask or should answer. I, I think, isn't it what should be said about us? I, I mean, I can't imagine myself going, well, I hope they remember that I did this and I did that and I you know. I need to be told that by other people. Otherwise I'm I'm a self-serving unto myself, don't you think? I that's an odd question. Do people answer that? Sure, all the time. They say, I want this, I want that.
1: People reveal their intentions when they answer that question.
0: Oh. Well. Um I don't know. I, that's odd for me. I I need to hear it said <laughs> and see where I went wrong or if something's working or something. It's like when you meet a girl, you know? Right. Um, it, it, it's how she responds or doesn't respond and th- then you know if, if you were doing the right thing right. or something, All I right. guess. Mm-hmm. I have a brother and two sisters. Two older sisters and my younger brother. and. There's only two of us left now. My younger brother died and the younger sister also passed away. So it's my sister, Georgia, and me. And she was born in 39. I was born in 1945. So we still get together. We still catch up on stuff. But basically, um, my family and those around, friends included, Um, I cherish. I hold on to that. And one of the things about my work has been meeting people and meeting and working with people and others. And if I'm put in charge of it, if I'm asked to direct something, um, I hold that very dear. I think that's a wonderful way to make friends, to have enemies. No, uh, to, uh, you know, to to just be part of things, to stay, stay uh, active. That's what I think I would say. Uh, as an actor, yes, always happy to do a part as a director. I love it. I love working on things behind the scene and, uh, believe it or not, teaching. I, I never knew teaching could be that, that much fun and that, that it's funny. Uh, you know, you hear teachers go, all those kids, they drive me crazy. I would never think that. Even though they, they can drive you crazy. <laughs> uh, but that's not how you deal with it. Sure. You're not gonna say you're driving me crazy. Sure. But uh I don't know. It might just be me in my corner of the school where I was. But uh I I really cherished all that time. It was it was good. And I met Charlie Volt, by the way. He was he was
1: there. Wow. Oh, I think that's a fantastic answer, <laughs> Alan Hunt. Everyone, thank you so much for being on the Mister Five podcast. And also, I don't think you. I, this is something I f- can't believe I forgot to mention. This is the season three finale. So, uh, thank you, Alan, for making such an awesome finale episode. Oh, and good. I couldn't be more grateful. I'm to happy to. That's great, Charlie. Yeah.
0: You mean this is the third? The end of the third run of this? Yeah. Wow. That's right. Salute.
1: Thank, you. thank you, man. You. Well, this has really been a privilege and uh, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Anytime, really my special. friend. Anytime. And there you have it. That was Alan Hunt in our season three finale. To the listeners of the Mr. Thrive podcast, thank you so, so much. Working with all of you has been a humbling experience and I've learned so much in this journey. Again, thank you for being a part of this journey with me. As those who have listened know, this is a cathartic experience for me, and I am grateful for each and every one of you. I will see you in the next season. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.